The text for the sermon is taken from John 16, uh, from the Gospel today. Jesus said to his disciples, a little while and ye shall not see me, and again a little while and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father, uh, and ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. This uh, John 16, uh, it, we actually have a trilogy of Gospels showing up for the next three Sundays uh, and uh, wrapping up uh, the Easter season. Each of these taken uh, from John 16, uh, and, uh, which is just prior to our Lord's uh, uh, prayer to his Father in John 17. Uh, the, uh, the timing is, is this. Uh, Judas, having left the well-lit upper room, has walked into the dark street of Jerusalem and made his way over to the temple. Uh, Jesus' farewell address, which is a portion of, of, this is a portion of that, begins as Judas departs and it ends at, with the conclusion of John 17. Uh, and then John 18 begins with these fateful words, when Jesus had spoken these words, referring back to 16 and 17, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And we know that story, don't we? We don't even need to hear the rest of it because we know it so well. So that situates the discourse to time and place, and doing that helps us to draw out the meaning of the text. Jesus said to his disciples, a little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. I've chosen to preach on this because it throws light on John 17, which is one of the most remarkable, if not the most remarkable, chapter in the whole New Testament. I've said this a hundred times, and I'll say it again. Over the next three weeks, you really ought to read John 17. You really ought to take some time and go through that several times and see it, because it, the whole whole of John 17 is a prayer of Jesus. It's his consecration of himself, his body, for the sacrifice. Before every sacrifice, there's a consecration. And that's what John 17 is. Uh, and understanding John 16 is going to throw light upon that and light upon two themes that I, uh, all of us, well, I have in particular preached on over and over again. That is deification and participation. And this is going to help you understand that a little bit more. I want you to understand that these words, deification and participation, refer to God's act of grace. Uh, participation is our state of being in Christ, uh, affected by our baptism. It is a state of God-given grace. And John, uh, our Lord says in John 17, 22, 23, uh, in his prayer, drawing toward the conclusion, the glory which thou gavest me, I gave to them. He's referring to the church. Now when he says that, the glory that thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, thou in me, that they be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou lovest me and hast loved them. Uh, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, as a perfect description of participation. 
and understand that participation leads to deification. And our desires and our ability to imitate God and imitate Christ also uh, go along with that. Uh, what we long for, what we yearn for, as well as what we mimic, what we mirror, uh, all flow from God's sacramental grace. Uh, so that desire and imitation of Christ are gifts of grace that continually open us up more to more and more of God's grace. Now, I know deification, the, the, even the word, the idea can be off-putting, and so I want to take a few minutes to explain this, and I'll take more, and you can text me or write me, and I can talk to you individually, because it's a very important dogma of the church that we need to understand. Uh, and it's my job, uh, too. I get, you pay me to do this, as, as well as Father, as far as fa fa Father Sean as well. Uh, we're, we, it is one of our duties to eliminate uh, ambiguity and confusion as much as possible. So what is deification? What does it mean to say uh, that deification is God's finality for human beings? God's finality means it's the will of God for, uh, the, for your state of being, your telos, what you're heading for, what he wants for you is deification. Um, God created us uh, not out of necessity. I, I, we don't exist because we have to exist. Uh, there's no necessity in our existence whatsoever. Uh, it's not because he had, had to. He willed to create us. Uh, and uh, his will to create us, he willed to create us for his own reasons. And deification is part of part of that. But to understand this, uh, listen to what I'm saying. Uh, deification means that we grow more and more and more into the likeness of God himself. And ultimately what it means is that you and I will behold God face to face and actually be able to see, we will see God as it were through his own eyes in a manner of speaking. It doesn't mean that we become a God like God. Uh, God is God by nature. We will grow into a supernatural relationship to God by grace. Uh, are you with me so far? You understand that. There are enough yeses on that then. Uh, the fledgling church uh, in Jerusalem, uh, with her memory of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection still fresh, declared her own self-understanding with the title, Children of God. Now just think about what that means. Children of God. Uh, the first generation church believed themselves to be children of God because Jesus had taught them to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. Furthermore, John himself, the beloved disciple, declares in the very beginning of the gospel this fact. As many as received him to them gave you power to become sons of God, children of God, all who believe on his name. So I'm simply take the claims uh, of, uh, that we are children of God as seriously as did the earliest uh, first generation church. That we are the children of God is the beginning uh, of, of the church's understanding of deification. We're not his pets. We're not his lap poodles. Uh, he has adopted us 
as children, he's infused us with heavenly virtues of faith, hope, and charity through our baptism, and he is making us into his own image more and more and more. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, Son of God, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Uh, please note the importance that the beloved disciple places upon seeing Jesus when he comes in his glory, and how that vision will result in knowledge of ourselves, knowledge, clarif clarified knowledge of ourselves and of our Lord as God and as our elder uh, brother. Now, look at the text again for today. Jesus said to his disciples, A little while, and ye shall see me, and again a little while, and ye shall not see me, because I go to the Father. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man take, uh, takes away from you. What exactly does Jesus mean when he says, A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me? Well, first of all, it's pretty clear uh, that there is a reference there to the resurrection of Christ because he was taken away and then he was made uh, visible to them again through the resurrection. Uh, but they didn't know that at the time of this saying. And it's clear from the text itself because they said, what's he talking about? A little while and we shall not see him. And again, a little while and we shall see him. Uh, at that moment... They, they didn't understand what he was talking about. As I said, the text itself shows that. But then after the resurrection, they remembered, and some things began to fall into place for them, and they began to see the intelligibility of this. And with the figure of the woman in travail in the text uh, today, uh, which reminds us of the woman in travail in the book of Revelation, we see that, and the promise of everlasting joy, I submit to you that there's another vision. There are two visions. One is the vision of our Lord after his resurrection and, and the witness of, that, of his resurrection. But the other vision is the, is the beatific vision, uh, the vision of Christ and all his glory uh, that will bring final happiness to all creation. Beloved, now we are the children of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And Paul says basically the same thing at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, uh, when he says, now we see through a glass darkly, but then we shall see face to face, and we will know even as we are known. Think about that. Take that phrase with you. And we shall know even as we are known. That vision, the beatific vision, not only communicates knowledge and understanding of who we are and who Jesus is in his glory, but it is a transformative vision. Salvation is more than a fire escape. Salvation means to be made whole and to grow into our full potential as human beings. And the only way that happens, that's our destiny, and the only way that happens is through the beatific vision and through our divinization as children of God. We are bound to see, bound as in a, as, as in a journey. We are bound to see uh, God face to face. 
Now, furthermore, part of that vocation, listen to what I'm saying, part of our vocation that goes right back to, the, to our first parents in the garden uh, that will be enlivened and energized by the beatific vision is to bring the rest of creation to fruition. We are to bring all of creation to God. We are the priests of God, a royal priesthood. The most important end of deification is that uh, it enables us to see the majesty and glory of God as it were through God's own eyes, through divinized eyes. Uh, that's our true beatitude, our true happiness, our true portion as human beings, the perfection of our nature by grace. But that also includes the rest of the created order. It is our duty to pick up where Adam fell and to husband creation in a glorious supernatural manner. <coughs> supernatural grace. The supernatural grace of God. <coughs> the supernatural grace of God will enable us to realize our natural destiny, which is to become the supernatural children of God. It is our destiny to become the children of God. And that's only achievable through the supernatural grace of God. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus brings uh, his father, uh, brings before his father the destiny of his children. Father, I desire also, listen to this. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory, the glory that you gave me before the world was. You've been baptized into Jesus Christ, therefore you are in Christ. You, all, you already are participating in the life, death, and resurrection in his humanity and the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I participate in the way, the truth, and the life. The flesh of our Lord nailed upon the cross the flesh of our Lord raised on Easter Sunday, and the full Jesus ascending into heaven with his Father. And it is our glory to ascend with him and to see him face to face. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.